Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Amen. In Acts chapter 15, we'll get right into it. Uh, the Bible says in verse number one, Acts chapter number 15, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Venus and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. Now, there should be some joy when somebody gets saved. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there really should be. And I, 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 21 has its ups and downs like every year that we've been through and every year you've been through. But I'll tell you, laboring and, and talking with Isaiah and just getting a phone call like we did and, and having him give his testimony about how he wanted to pull over and told his dad he wanted to pray and trust the Lord. I mean, you got to have some joy over that. <laughs> and, and you know what else happened? They received him. Now, that's pretty good. You know what the Jews' problem was? They couldn't be happy that Gentiles were saved. Well, except you be circumcised. They just couldn't find any joy that somebody else got saved. I'm telling you, jealousy is unseen, but it's a very, very powerful motive. And that was the problem that the religious majority had, those Judaizers. Um, look at verse number five. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. It's a sad day that they couldn't just receive them and have some joy. And they just felt it was needful that they had to be circumcised. And it's amazing to me, even in today's world, what people will do to their bodies all in the name of religion. Whether it's paganistic or humanistic religion and they're, they're piercing and tattooing every part of their body. Or whether it's a Jew saying, you've got to be circumcised or you're not right. Or whether it's a Roman Catholic having to crawl on their knees. to None of that does anything except draw you further away from the truth. Jesus saves and religion always, mark it down every time, enslaves. Only Jesus saves. Look at verse number seven. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. And said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, 
that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of God and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Verse number nine couldn't be more clear. There's no difference. He purified their hearts by faith. How is your heart purified? The same way mine is. How is someone that's been enslaved in religion their whole life, how are their hearts purified? The same way there's no difference. So one thing we got to get a hold of, we don't hold somebody's religion against them. Because we all came from a quote unquote religion. There's no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Another thing that's interesting is this. Peter completely understands the case at hand. And the other thing that's interesting to notice about Peter in, the, in this is that you see a little bit of a difference in Peter's character. Wouldn't you think Peter would have jumped all over this thing and got ahead of the Lord, kind of like we would expect Peter to do? <laughs> but but look at it very closely. Uh, we're, we're, okay. Watch verse number seven. And when there had been much disputing, Peter allowed the much disputing to go on, and then he rose up. Now, the Peter that we're used to was he wasn't even allowed nothing to go on. He just jumped right in there and just let everybody have it. The other thing that's interesting to note about Peter here is that the doctrine that he's got and Peter's hanging out with Paul, and one thought to draw out before we get to the main thought I want to draw out is that if you hang around people that are solid on doctrine, you hang around people that are on fire for God, chances are you're going to be on fire for God. And you get around friends that are just going to drag you down, chances are you're going to end up being the guy that just drags people down. So there's something to that, Peter and Paul being together. But the one thing I'd like to, the main point I want to bring out is that Peter's got some doctrine here. Look at verse number eight and God, verse eight. Uh, look at the end of verse eight, giving them the Holy Ghost. Go down to verse number 11. Uh, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you got a couple of verses there. The Trinity. He's preaching the Trinity. I'm telling you, we've got the Trinity all throughout the Bible, and here's just one place that we can see it. He's got his doctrine right. Um, verse number seven, one more thing on, on Peter. Oh, where is it? Peter rose up, said, the men of brethren, you know, the while. Uh, okay, at the end of it. Should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And our message is always the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then it says what, youngins? After that verse. And thy house, right? You like saying that verse and repeating that verse. It, what's interesting about that is the same context of Peter and Paul. Peter's hanging around Paul. He's going to get some doctrine right. You get saved. You're hanging around your household. Guess what's likely to happen? Your household's going to get saved. Wherever you hang around, it just makes a difference. Makes a difference. I look at verse number 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God 
to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. That yoke, that's that religion again that doesn't save you. But we believe, verse 11, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So let me get this straight. God accepts them without the law, yet you want to impose the law. And it's just not so. God, how does he save? By his grace. We see that in verse number 11. And where is it? Verse 10. Um, it says, now, therefore, why tempt ye God? If God saves by his grace and it's not by works and somebody wants to come along and add works to it, that's tempting God. <laughs> it's not a right thing to do. We don't put people under the law. They are saved out of the bondage of the law. Look at verse number 12. We'll read a few here. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had brought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree, the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Now, we're not going to get into the knowledge of God and that tonight. We'll just say this. God knows all the things he's going to do. <laughs> all of his works. Known unto God are all his works. Very clear there. Verse 19. Therefore, my sentence is that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. You got Peter. You got Barnabas. You got Paul, you got Simeon, you got James, and they all say the same thing. Saved the same way, by grace, without the law. Without law has no place or bearing in a Christian's salvation. Look at verse 20 and 21, though. For Moses of old time hath in every city, them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Or let me verse, uh, that was verse 21. Let me read verse 20, like I said I would. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. To be saved? No. To have a testimony. To be a better witness. You don't want your evangelism to be hindered because you're living in such a way that would cause people to say, well, why would I believe you? You say you're a Christian and you live a life of fill in the blank. So the way that we live our lives matters. But trying to live our lives in order to merit salvation can't happen. And it won't happen. 
Verse number 22, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, Silas, chief men among the brethren. So they're all assembled together. Verse number 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren, send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, we're right back to it. You must be born again. No, you must be circumcised. And to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. You know what God calls people that say, you got to keep the law to be saved. You got to be circumcised to be saved. God calls them troublemakers. He says you're subverting souls. That means you're taking away the foundation of what's been laid. You need to be very careful about that. Anytime you or I or any Christian would attempt to add works to salvation, God's just calling us troublemakers. No works involved. And in verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled upon accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men, watch this, that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit further establishing authority. That's some confidence you can put in some men. And that's a powerful testimony. You're going to hazard your life for the cause of Christ. You're going to go through, just fill in the subheadings under the headings of hazard. And you're going to do that all for the gospel of Christ. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty powerful. Lord called me to this field, not to a foreign field. But those that are called to the foreign field, they got a lot more physical hazards to deal with than I do. I've got a warm home, a soft bed, running water, electricity, and pretty much people that aren't given over to witch doctors, okay? <laughs> we don't have to go into a village and deal with people that are literally afraid of what because of what the witch doctor told them. Now, we can argue we've got witch doctors in different ways, which that'll make a fun sermon too. But my point is that us hazarding our lives in the U.S., come on. The worst that we've had was the last year and a half of COVID restrictions. There's a lot of people lose their life in the gospel of Christ. Those missionaries in Haiti that got out of there. Really, honestly, think about how you did every time you had to turn on the news and watch one of these fakers tell you to be afraid of something. We about went bonkers. We'll be locked up in a cage because you just got caught by some Mongolian lord of the village you were trying to preach the gospel to. <laughs> That's a lockdown. 
So look at verse 27. And have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. And it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the necessary things. The Holy Spirit here is leading. I don't think any of us can deny that. Um, the gospel is the gospel. Whether it comes out of my mouth or your mouth, it's not like it has more power because it comes out of your mouth or because I'm a preacher and it comes out of my mouth. The Holy Spirit is what is working. It's the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that woos and draws. And like Kelly brought out this morning in the lesson, uh, we need to lead, be led by the spirit of God. You better not put faith in what I say. You better check out what I say with the Bible and make sure it lines up. We all should be saying the same thing. And if we all agree to be led by the Holy Spirit and that the gospel will not change. And they're trying to change the gospel to say you got to add something that God never said that. Never said. Acts 15, 29, last one here. He abstained from meats offered to idols, from blood, from strangled things, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall be saved. No, you shall do well. Fare ye well. Nothing to do with salvation. Right living has nothing to do with your soul being saved. Now, how many of you ever heard the term antinomianism? Okay. Anti, against, nomen, law, and then ism, anytime there's an ism run. <laughs> antinomianism is basically against law, against the law. So you have two ditches on the side of the road. We can relate to ditches. We live in Tennessee. John on the roads, and we saw two in the ditch just because of the ice. You got one of two ditches to fall into. You can either be a legalist. We know what a legalist is, right? You got to do this to be saved. And when you live right and somebody else isn't living right, you know what they call you? A legalist. That's not a legalist. The Bible says not to lie. Me as a preacher, I have to tell you, don't lie. Well, what are you, a legalist? No, I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. You can live in obedience to the God that you say you love. So everybody's got a line where they think they're at. And if you cross their line and they don't like it, they just call you a legalist. But biblically, a legalist is somebody who tells you you have to do these things in order to be saved. The, the ditch on the other side is the antinomians. He's against any type of law. So we'll talk a little bit about that. It's the polar opposite of legalism. The Bible says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That means the Old Testament law has no bearing on a New Testament Christian. And what's the cry from the balcony from anybody that would challenge you on salvation by grace? Well, what are you saying? It's just salvation by grace. You can just sin it up and live how you want. And if you've witnessed any length of time, you know that argument comes up. 
it just encourages people to sin, salvation by grace, except, no, it doesn't. Because if I saved you out of a, you were drowning because you fell into an ice pond <laughs> and you had to get pulled out because you were drowning and you would have froze to death and I saved you. By default, do you think you'd be grateful to your Savior and you'd want to at least write them a thank you card? It's, it's not like you go and twist their arm, and, and God doesn't twist your arm. If he saved you, and you got a hold of that, you would naturally, by default, want to show your thankfulness. And that's why we live for Christ. If you are saved honestly tonight, if you've trusted Christ, you should, by default, because you've got the Holy Spirit now, desire to your desire should be more to live for him and less to live for sin i know it rhymes but it really does work biblically god's desire for all of us is to present our bodies a living sacrifice so it's will you will i will we line up our life with god's desire Romans 6 answers it. Let's go there. Antinomianism says basically that God doesn't expect anything of you. And it's just a ditch on the other side. God does expect things from his children. Same way you would expect things from your children. To make them your son or daughter? Nope, they already are. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? It's a pretty resounding answer, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We see it again in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over ye, you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. The answer comes back again. God forbid. And by the way, these people that say that, well, it just encourages sinning. Has the law ever kept anybody from sinning? <laughs> That's the whole irony of that ridiculous argument. Well, you Christians that say you're saved by grace, what are you what are you saying? You can just go and live any way you want? Well, God forbid, the answer comes back. But then it's turn it back on them and say, Can you show me anybody where the law has kept them from sinning? <laughs> Because it never did. It always showed somebody that they were sinners. Look at 1 John chapter 5, if you would. 1 John chapter number 5. And while we're at it, why don't we get our finger at Matthew 22. Matthew 22. First John 5, we'll do that first. First John 5, verse number 3. Here's why antinomianism is wrong. It's the polar opposite. It's the ditch on the other side of the road of legalism. First John 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we, that would be us believers, keep his commandments 
and his commandments are not grievous. Now, when you read that verse, if it's for believers, which it is, does God have some expectations for your life? He does. And it has nothing to do with you keeping your salvation. It has everything to do with where's your desire. I used to research all this stuff when I realized all this worldly stuff was so wicked. And I got a book. With, I went through it. Oh, I pulled this out. I told her I had this book that was this thick. And here it is. On all these guys that sold their soul for the devil. On all this, you know, devil music and rock and roll and all this. And it's just wicked stuff. These people are just wicked. Then I got to the point where, you know what? I had... No desire to even want to listen to it. It just why? Because the more you study the word, the more you get around Peter and Paul, the more you desire the things of the Lord. And it's never to make somebody do something that they don't want to do. It's that our desires naturally should change. That's why his commandments shouldn't be grievous. Matthew 22, look at verse 37. Jesus, Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That was kind of like this morning singing, I surrender all. You just sink back in your pew. You're thinking to yourself, I'm singing, Lord, but I'm convicted. There's just some sing- there's some songs and there's some verses where you read them and you just know that you just don't line up. And here's a one of them because none of us do this. But he says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. Galatians 6, 2 says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ is? It's not about you or I earning our salvation. The law of Christ is not about Christians trying to keep their salvation. It's about loving your neighbor, bearing one another's burdens and his commandments aren't grievous and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear you one another's burdens. God has expectations for those who he has already redeemed. And it has nothing to do with putting them under the law or anything to do with them having to keep something that God said he'd keep. First John 2, we should have stayed there, but let's go back. First John 2, we'll see another one. First John 2, verse number 3. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. This is why we have a hard time when someone says they're a Christian, yet they're living like the devil. Because it's, it, don't, it don't work. It doesn't fit. There's a disconnect when you hear that. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, loses their salvation. No. 
You see, keeping commandments has nothing to do with you keeping or receiving salvation. It says, is a liar and the truth is not in him. How can you say you know somebody and you just could care less about wanting to do what they ask you to do? Yeah, I love my wife, except everybody sees the way I treat her and they're like, well, no, you don't. You're a liar. Does that mean we're not married? No, it just means that the truth ain't in me. I'm lying about that. You don't keep it. God said he'd keep you. That's why it's called everlasting life. Uh, Whoso keep this word, him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him self also so to walk even as he walked. Walk the Christian life. God expects some things from you. He's not holding your salvation over your head and going to take it away if you don't live for him. You're just going to miss out on the joy of serving God. First Timothy. First Timothy. Chapter one. Let's look a little deeper at what the expectation from God is for us. First Timothy 1, verse number 4. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. You know what the expectation of God is? Charity. That should be your life. That should be my life. Do you see anything about the letter of the law being the end of the commandment? Where that's where God wants you to get to? Man, you really got the law down, man. You really got that letter of the law, brother. No. You want to get to an end point? Get to charity. Get the chair. And that's a tough spot to, to get to. Nonetheless, that's what God expects. That's how that's how you arrive. <laughs> and nobody we all know really arrives. It's God, that's the end of the commandment. Look at verse number seven. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Now that's a problem. Understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Uh, I'm not under the law. Number one, the law of Moses was never given to me. It was given to the nation of Israel. Number two, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm saved by grace. And what you're trying to do is get me to turn aside. We all need to be careful of those things. If you want to follow the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11, go ahead and help yourself. I'm not. I'm not going under the law. That wasn't given to me. I'm going to eat what I want. You can eat what you want. Now, you want to eat junk food your whole life, then you'll reap those physical ailments that come along with that. But it's got nothing to do with your soul. And you can make the argument that you're a glutton. Okay, we can talk about that. That's a sin. But as far as trying to put me under the law of what I can and can't eat, God says, no. 
No, that, that's, that was for Israel. That was for a certain people for a certain thing. You can tell me all you want that I've taken the mark of the beast in Revelation 13 because I worship on Sunday, and they can tell you all they want. You've taken the mark of the beast because you worship on Sunday, and that's what Revelation 13 is talking about. No, it's not. I don't care what Ellen White says. She's wrong. That whole Seventh-day Adventist thing tries to put you back under the law. Not about a day of the week. I find rest in the Lord every day, okay? And, and so this idea that if you meet on a certain day, you're right. You don't meet on a certain day, you're wrong. And if you don't eat this and that, it's all to bring you into bondage. Look at verse number eight. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Now, you answer this in your own heart tonight. Are you saved? If you are saved, this verse is not for you because you're a righteous man or you're a righteous woman. Go to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And 2 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 30. We'll do that first. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know where you get righteousness from? You know how you can say you're a righteous man or a righteous woman? You get it from Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5 says the same thing. Look at it says at the last verse. Great verse for, for witnessing. Amen. Uh, verse 21, Second Corinthians 5. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So in First Timothy says that oh boy I lost my spot here it is verse number nine knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man it's not for us anymore but for the lawless and disobedient what were you in times past yeah now it's for you for the ungodly and for sinners what were you before you trusted the Lord? You were ungodly. Were unholy and profane. That was the life you lived for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. And it just goes on and on and on. The law showed you who you were. It was never made for a Christian to be brought under the bondage of. It was made for a lost person to see their need for a savior. So that they could be, they can have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to their account. Romans 3, we'll start to wrap it up. Romans chapter number 3. Verse number 19. Romans 3, 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith. It saith to them who are under the law, that ain't me, that ain't you if you're saved, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty 
before God. You are either under the law or you are not under the law. And this lost and dying world is under the law and it's designed to stop their mouth and show them who they really are. But you're either under the law or you're not. You can tell me all you want that I need to tithe like Old Testament Israel. No, I don't. That was for the nation. I am to give out of a cheerful heart and I am to present my body a living sacrifice. You can tell me to worship on Saturday, but I don't have to and neither do you. Because you're not under the Mosaic law. Which, by the way, the people in that organization never stone the people that don't worship on Saturday either. But I guess that's a different story. If you're going to keep some of the law, you better keep all of the law. And just nobody can. Nobody ever did except the Lord. I can learn from the law. I can see the types of Christ's, uh, Christ, the shadows, all those pictures. But I don't have to obey it. And nobody should force you to try to obey it. Romans 7. Romans 7 and Colossians 2. And we'll, we'll wrap it up. Romans 7. I got to get past Philippians. Okay, here we are. All right, Romans 7 we'll do first and get your finger in Colossians 2. Romans 7, verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, brought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, Sin was dead. You're going to get your definition of sin from the law. When you go out and you witness to people and you try to give them a cure and they don't think they're, think they're sick, you have to show them through the law that they are sick. <laughs> That's what it's designed to do, to show them a picture, a true picture of who they are. Verse number nine, for I was alive without the law once. When the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now we'll, 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 we're going through the book of Romans. We're going to start chapter two next week. So we'll do a nice deep dive into this when we get to it. The purpose of the law is to bring us to death so that we can receive eternal life from the only one that can give it. Because the law has got no life eternally to give. But Jesus Christ does. And I'm not going back into condemnation. And I'm not preaching anybody backward into condemnation. We're going to walk in victory and in liberty given to us by Christ Jesus. 
So when we preach against sin, when we preach for right, holy living, it's not to put anybody under the law. It's to show you from the Bible that God has some expectations. And the more you fall in love with the author of the book, the more desire you will have to live for him. In the meantime, don't look to me to tell you what to do. I know you expect me to open the book, the book and preach what the Bible says. But you ultimately have to develop your own relationship with the Lord and grow your own roots deep. I've got to do the same thing. Youngins, you've got to do the same thing. Your parents will read the Bible to you, but you've got to, you've got to get a hold of it yourself. All right, last, last this, the last thing. Watch what Christ did. Colossians 2. Oh, Lord, watch what he does. Verse 13. Colossians 2. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Hath he quickened together, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You're either going to have it blotted out here, or you're going to have your name blotted out of the book of life. And I'm glad I chose this one. <laughs> I'm glad I chose this. It's out of the way. Your sin is never going to come back to haunt you. Not in the Lord's eyes. You might struggle with it down here because you can't get it out of your mind. But the Lord took care of it. He's not going to hold it against you. Verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect. Of a holy day, a holiday, or of a new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Because of what Christ did, nobody can judge you in what you do or don't do. He took it all out of the way. So you can look at me and say, well, he's not living the way I think. So, he, he, he. And I can look at you and say, well, they, they might not be a Christian because they don't do this and they should do that and they don't do that. It doesn't do anything. It's just judgment. Because our salvation isn't by what we do or don't do or holy days we celebrate or don't celebrate. It's by what Christ did. He blotted out our, all those ordinances against us. And now we want to try to live for him because we're thankful for what he did. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.